There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free apple card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card you earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day that's three percent on your favorite products at apple two percent on all other apple card with apple pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. All right, well, we're back with another one of these. My vacation's still going on, winding down a little bit. Um, but like, I, like I've said the last couple of weeks, we want to give you guys a little something different here on, on the podcast. And so we give you coaches, we give you general managers, and we want to give you an idea who these guys are and kind of what got them where they are. And so, you know, one of the guys that, that, that I asked about doing this a couple of weeks ago, he's had a pretty good year for himself. So we're going to welcome him in now. Uh, he is the general manager of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Brett Veach. Uh, Brett, have you gotten used to hearing that yet? Like, is that sunk in like fully yet? Like that you're going to get to hear that for the next six months or so? No, I haven't gotten used to it yet, but it does. It does have a nice, nice ring to it for sure. And uh, yeah, what an amazing season and uh, amazing ride. I guess the only the, the bad part is we really haven't gotten a chance to enjoy it. Um, with everything that's going on right now. But at a certain point, uh, I'm sure we'll still get a chance to, to look back and just remember what a great run and, and ride it was. Okay, so I, just to kind of set it up for everybody, I, I actually, the, the previous two of these that I did, I did sort of before my vacation. This one has, uh, you know, me and Brett have worked through timing a little bit. And kind of funny story about this one, we were actually initially scheduled to do this on a Monday, and uh, Brett said, hey, can we can we back it up a little bit? 
And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem, whatever. Um, yeah, I got some flexibility here time-wise. Little did I know um, that the largest contract in sports history was getting pushed across the, the goal line. So here's where I would start with you, Brett. Like if I had told you, you know, 15 years ago when you're just getting started in the NFL um, that at 41 years old, you'd be negotiating the largest contract in sports history as a general manager of a general manager of a world championship team. What do you think you would have said to me? I would have certainly said you were crazy. And, you know, it, it's funny, Albert, that you even mentioned that because during uh, uh, over the weekend, um, right before signing Pat Mahomes, I was in the office with our uh, with our cap team, Brent Tillis and Chris Shea. And at one point when we were getting close to what we thought would be a finishing point, I actually said to them, I said, can you believe that we're sitting in here right now um, working on the biggest contract uh, in the NFL's history and, and the biggest contract in U.S. sports history? It, it almost seems surreal. And um, on on Monday at the signing, I said the same thing to Chris. I said, how about a couple guys from Pennsylvania um, getting together um, back in 17, talking about Pat Mahomes, and here we are three short years later um, working on the biggest deal in, in, in sports history. So um, certainly would have said you're crazy. It's still surreal. And um, it's been it's been quite a ride so far. And, and we're certainly even looking for better things in the future. Is there like any like element as a general manager of swallowing hard when you do something like that? Or, you know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, obviously you've got the ultimate confidence in the player. Um, but is there like any sort of like uneasiness or like 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 what's running through your head when, uh, you know, you see the the pen go to paper and, and the things done and pushed across. Well, you know, I think at that point, you know, you're you're living in the moment, so you know you're you're excited about the short term. I think in the back of your mind, when you're you're putting something like that pen to paper, you're just you, you know you're you're saying your prayers that the player just stays healthy because I think we all know that um, barring injury. Uh, sky's the limit for, for Pat Mahomes. Um, his talent is, is again, something uh, the league hasn't seen before. Um, and another thing, too, Albert, about how Pat is, and this always gets lost in the shuffle because Pat is such a rare talent, arm strength and creativity and instincts, but I don't think people realize just how smart he is. I mean, he, you know, people will, will talk about how Brady and Manning will just um, be able to use their mind and, and just – uh, put their teams in, in unique positions. And it, it, that gets overlooked for Pat because he's so freaky athletically. Um, but the kid has a photographic memory. I mean, he's really smart. So, you know, we think at 24 years old, even that aspect of the game is something that, you know, him with Andy Reid for the next hopefully 10 years. Um, I joke with coach. I said, he's got to go 10 more now too. So, but I think, you know, that's the cool thing. So when you're putting pen to paper, uh, on something like this, you know, you're just praying that, you know, the kid stays healthy and and he gets to um, add to this already great legacy. All right. So I want to kind of rewind back now to, you know, when you got started. And a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, Brett's quarterback at the University of Delaware was uh, a guy who's been pretty successful himself uh, in, in in the NFL. And that's Matt Nagy, who's now the head coach of the of the Bears. And, and I, so I want to take you back there. You guys are pretty successful there. Obviously, that's a story program at the 1AA level. Um, had you and Matt, like back then, um, had discussions about 
what you were going to do post-playing? Like, had that ever come up? And if you want to even go further back than that, like, had you ever thought about, you know, working in football after you were done playing? Like, like when did that really kind of thought process begin for you? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I don't know if I, I can say that throughout my, my high school and, and, and um, playing career at Delaware, I think like 99.9% of, of the rest of young athletes, uh, we are we are all delusional and thinking that one day we're going to play in the NFL. Right. Um, and then, you know, I, Matt and I are actually from the same area in Pennsylvania. Now our high schools didn't play, but, um, we were so close, um, in regards to where we both live that we certainly knew of each other. And then when we got to Delaware, we certainly became close friends right away. Uh, Matt had a great career. Uh, he went on to the arena ball at one point after, Matt graduated a year before me, and, and he was playing in arena. At one point after graduation, Matt reached out to me and, and wanted me to um, – there was a, a tryout there for, I think, the New Jersey Dragons or New York Dragons, one of those teams, and and um, wanted me to go up there and, and kind of start that. But at that point, I already had uh, a grad graduate assistantship position uh, for me at Delaware. So uh, there was no point that Matt and I ever talked about – uh, working in the NFL um, or him coaching in the NFL. It was simply went to Delaware, great friendship. We had both had pretty good – Matt had a great career. I had a good career. Uh, afterwards, Matt kind of went on, played arena. I stayed there at Delaware and, and uh, worked on a graduate degree and stayed in touch. And, uh, and then it wasn't until after where I got hooked up uh, with Coach Reed that I reached back out to Matt. But I would say that prior to – Myself working with the Eagles, I don't think Matt and I ever once discussed because we probably thought it was never a possibility of, of working in the NFL. Was that tempting, like the idea of trying to continue playing? Like, I don't know what your opportunity was after you got done at Delaware and you were, I think your last year playing there was a one, right? Like, so like, was it tempting the idea of maybe giving it a shot and playing professionally at some level? Yeah, you know, I thought about it because, you know, you have so much love for the game and it's all I've really known and, and done my entire career you know I'm from a small town in, in, in Pennsylvania uh, my dad still coaches to this day my older brother uh, went to Lafayette and was a safety there my younger brother uh, was a captain and, and played running back on, on Princeton's team so I'm from a football family that's all I know it's all I've ever wanted to do so there was certainly a part of me that you know thought about it uh, but I think the timing was just so out of whack where I had basically accepted the grad graduate assistantship position. I was already in school for three or four months and I was deep into it already when I got the call. And, it, uh, you know, I, luckily for me that I, I used some common sense and just realized that um, I, I wasn't good enough to, to, to continue on for a very long time. So at least I had some common sense, but yeah, you certainly think about it just because you love the game so much and you want to be a part of it in any way. Okay, so I'm assuming then your dad being a coach, like, your idea was to get into coaching maybe like was scouting in the back of your mind or was that something that you had thought of before when you did start the graduate assistant job at Delaware? Yeah. Uh, never thought of scouting, never crossed my mind. Uh, exactly right. Once, once I got done playing and I, and I started down the GA uh, path, uh, I, I just thought, you know, at some, you know, really I, I would probably say my mind and my thought process was, want to stay in coaching, <laughs> had a good career at Delaware, 
college football coaching would be an avenue that I, I thought would be um, would make the most sense for me. So as I was doing, um, you know, my graduate assistantship, I uh, really thought that I, I would go down the coaching route like my dad and, um, you know, get my GA ship and, and just look for uh, startup positions and just kind of try to work my way up uh, the, the coaching rank. So never really thought of, of scouting until I got to Philadelphia. But, um, you know, and, and really, Albert, the way this worked was <clears throat> while I was a graduate assistant, it, it's kind of crazy because this branch is out into so many different different areas. So I got <laughs> recruited by Tubby Raymond. Now, my senior season was Tubby's last in coaching. Um, and when I became a GA at Delaware, Tubby retired. Uh, Casey Keeler took the job. So Casey Keeler hires Kirk Shiraka uh, from Villanova. Now, Kirk Shiraka is now the offensive coordinator at Penn State. But at the time, Casey hired Kirk Shiraka as the offensive coordinator. So my first year as a grad assistant, my head coach retired, uh, was working with a new head coach in, in Casey Keeler, his new offensive coordinator was Kirk Shiraka, who had just come from Villanova. Now, at the same time, Kirk comes from Villanova. Uh, another coach from Villanova goes to Philadelphia. Uh, that man was James Urban, who's now the quarterback coach for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. So Kirk Shiraka, James Urban, they're both working at Villano uh, Villanova. Kirk Shiraka takes the OC job at Delaware. James Urban becomes the coach's assistant at Philadelphia. Uh, I know Kirk because, lo and behold, Kirk was at Penn, so... Actually, it was, I think it was Penn. I, I got to get my stories right. I think both these gentlemen were coaching at Penn, not Villanova. So I apologize for that. But Kirk, because as I mentioned, my brother went to Princeton. Kirk knew my family, knew my younger brother during the, the Penn-Princeton recruiting deal. So my first few weeks of, of working with Kirk Chirac and, and our new coach at Delaware, Kirk hits, hits me up and says, Brett, one of my friends at Penn is now the assistant to the head coach of Philadelphia. He's looking for some interns to work training camp. And I think, you know, that'd be good for you to meet James. And, and as you're working with me here at Delaware, uh, branch out and meet James at, uh, you know, working training camp with the Philadelphia Eagles. So while I was GAing, I spent my summers working with Kirk Chiraca, well, obviously my falls and, and, and springs working with Kirk Chiraca in Delaware. <clears throat> and I spent my, my summers working with James Urban um, as an intern, a training camp intern with the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's kind of how. Um, I originally got my foot in the door and it was really just a matter of a coach that was recruiting my brother just happened to be hired at the same time I became a GA at Delaware. That's crazy. So what was the, like when you were working with, with Urban, what was your job? Like, what were you, so then I'm assuming that would that have been in the summer of what year? Like that would have been like, Oh, two Oh three, like right in there. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I think the first summer, Probably oh four oh five. I think it was it was Tio's first year in Philly. It was the first year I interned with James. <laughs> okay. It was crazy. Yeah. So I what was, was I what was, was uh, what what was your job like then? Like what were you doing? Like like what was what did your day to day look like? Because I'm assuming like your title's like coaching intern, right? But like you're probably not doing much actual coaching. I would think, right? Oh no, no, not at all. I was actually um, I was assisting the assistant to the head coach. So. Uh, at that time, I, it was a little bit of crowd control uh, during practices. It was uh, uh, stocking fridges, uh, putting up signs for the coaches, taking coaches to and from practice, uh, 2 a.m. McDonald runs for the coaches. 
I mean, you name it, uh, you know, we did it. So it certainly wasn't a glamorous job, but it was a job that it really, you know, grounded you. And, you know, after going and playing college sports, you know, you, you know, you're used to um, kind of doing things your way, but this really humbled you right from the beginning. And it really um, allowed you to take, a step back and, and take pride in the little things and you know here's another funny t funny story too albert so there had been a long history of kind of working camp and <clears throat> getting your way or getting your foot into into the door with the eagles so i had done this summer internship with james uh and the philadelphia eagles and i would again stock fridges and post signs and drive coaches around and run off copies of the playbook and deliver playbooks should I even remember the first week or two getting a call from James and saying that Terrell Owens doesn't like the location of his dorm room bed. And we were, you know, uh, swapping out beds for TO and, and it was crazy, but there had been, there had been a, a kind of a history where, um, you know, if, if the assistant to the head coach got a chance to become a quality control coach and move up the ranks that, you know, the, these interns, since they were at camp and knew the assistant coaches so well, they would be good candidates to hire. So my first summer, uh, worked my tail off for James and the Eagles and nothing became available. The next summer, worked my tail off and, and nothing became available. The third summer, now by this time, Albert, I had, I had finished my, my schoolwork and my GA was over. So right after that, Delaware offers me a job, kind of a uh, – operations assistant now i'm a young kid and you know I, I don't have any money so they offered me the job i didn't know if i was still going to be able to intern um because i think they offered me the job well before training camp maybe in january or february took the job um as an operations um uh, director at, at delaware in january or february and then as we got close to camp i reached out to James again and I said you know I, I just took this job but I don't care I'm going to take all my vacation I can and work with you again and so James called me back he said awesome love to hear it get you back here again I went to my employer now the University of Delaware and said hey I'm going to you know I'm going to take my vacation time and, and, and I'll see you guys because I'm going to spend another two and a half weeks down at Lehigh and work training camp I just didn't have enough vacation time uh, and they <laughs> and this is obviously my alma mater so I'm nothing against Delaware but you know, they just said, well, listen, we just hired you. We just committed to you. And, you know, you really don't have any vacation time build up. You just took the job. And, you know, we have a lot of stuff going on getting ready for our fall season. So they just said that they didn't have enough people to just um, fill that job. So they wouldn't let me go. So I called James and I told James, I was like, oh, I'm like sick to my stomach because I can't do it now. James said he understood. And he said we would just double back again if you had more vacation time in the following year. So. I don't, I don't work that third summer because of my job. So who does James Urban hire to be the intern? Um, a guy by the name of Kevin Stefanski, right? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. James, now, yeah, that's wild. So James then <clears throat> hires Kevin Stefanski, who was a Penn guy, right? There's that connection yep. back to Penn. So James hires Kevin Stefanski, and right after the season, Brad Childress gets the Minnesota job. Because again, these assistant to the you know these camp interns get to do a lot of stuff for the assistant coaches. So James hires Kevin Stefanski to work as intern that year. He goes to Minnesota, 
And I remember calling my dad and I said, I am the biggest idiot ever. I, if I would have just not taken that job at Delaware and had the opportunity to continue to work as a summer intern, I would be with, potentially with Coach Childress in, in Minnesota and my football coaching career your way. Um, I screwed up. I'll never get this opportunity again, and I will never scratch or, or sniff the NFL. So um, I joke with Matt all the time. I said, you know, the NFC North, you should be thankful because, you know, but Kevin Stefanski and uh, by my heir and Matt Nagy, by my relationship with him, are, are both uh, working in the NFC North. Yeah. So what do you like? So you like what? How does that opportunity that, that opportunity arises after Kevin leaves then to go back to Philly? Yeah. So then Kevin. Um, um, so Kevin goes with Brad to Minnesota, um, and then here's where I got the big break. So James, I think James knew I was disappointed, and obviously because I had worked with him for two summers, so I can't work the third summer. Kevin goes. Um, Kevin gets the internship position. Then he goes with Brad to Minnesota. Uh, the f- coming up now on the, on the next summer training camp, I'm calling James and I, you know, I like, look, I got my vacation. Now. I'm going and, and, you know, I, I'm all in and <clears throat> the phone kind of goes dark for two or three months. And I, and I think that, that it's just not a possibility anymore. And then kind of out of the blue, James called me back and said, Hey, I, I know you've been calling, trying to get back in interning at training camp sorry for not calling you but just wanted to let you know i just got promoted from coach's assistant to quality control so now the actual position's open and because you had worked for a few summers you know i coach reed asked me for some recommendations he has a a mile long stack of resumes on his desk but um i did tell coach of the great job you did as an intern explain why you didn't work the third year because you took the job coach has his has your name and resume on his desk and um i put a good word in for you so um from there i got a chance to to interview for that assistant coach position assistant to the head coach position with the philadelphia eagles but uh, james certainly from from bringing me on as an intern the first two years um to recommending me recommending me to coach reed after he got promoted up to quality control coach is uh, a big part of why uh, i am where i am so that's almost got to be like a sense of relief then, right? Like you think you blew it and then, okay, I didn't blow it, <laughs> right? Like I would think like, like that that would sort of be the mindset there. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Like is there something that you think that you did um, that really impressed James to the point where he did feel compelled to go to, 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 to Andy? Like was there, was there something that, that you would pull out and say to younger people, you know, like this, these are a few things that I did that I think really probably stood out that got my foot in the door and kept it there. So when a job did come open, somebody was advocating for me to get it. Yeah. You know, it's just reliability and dependability. So when I was an intern, as you asked before, uh, Albert, you know, there's any football opportunities in regards to while you're working as an intern, showing your knowledge or or what you can do or or, or how you're passionate about coaching? And the answer would, would be no. I mean, it was literally, it was steak and tape. It was uh, stocking fridges. It was, um, you know, printing out playbooks. Um, but, you know, when you're going through a summer training camp, back in the day, it was a, a fairly large process at Lehigh because camp was so spread out. I mean, it was 16, 18 hour days. And it wasn't, you weren't getting paid virtually anything. And it was just all grunt work. So when you get a chance to, to work for, for James, like I 
I did and um, knowing the work was was grunt work and and it was all the non-glamorous stuff and and if you can take pride in those things and, and be dependable and be reliable take pride in in um, such basic asks and 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 job tasks i mean if you can do the little things really well and take pride and take pride in getting up early to clean out the trash and um you know drive coaches around and and stay up late to do mcdonald runs and stock fridges and um you know run off the the playbooks i mean if you're gonna wake up every day at 5 a.m and you're gonna stay stay up all night and and basically do little mundane things and do those with great pride and great attention to detail that you know, those are, are the guys that are grounded, you know, the right way and, and know how to, to really build on a foundation. So I think that just the ability to kind of do that grunt work for two years and always show up and, and always bring a lot of energy, I think that James knew that I'd be a good fit with Coach Reed. Okay, so what was your job then? That coach's assistant job, um, where you move into James's old job. Um, and I, I'm looking here, it looks like you did it for two years, right? In 08 and 09. So was that just more or less like anything that Andy needed? And at that point, did you have a relationship with Andy going into that? It sounds like you sort of didn't, right? Like that James had to really vouch for you. Um, where was your relationship at with Andy going into that? And what was that job like? Yeah, so I didn't really have, as you mentioned, a relationship with Coach at all. James did vouch for me. And, you know, Andy, because Andy has a photographic memory as well, Andy probably remembered me just in passing at training camp as an intern, you know, certainly remember the face. Oh yeah. I think I remember him. Uh, didn't have a relationship. Uh, and it, it was, so the assistant to the head coach position, you're exactly right. You're basically there when the coach is there. And, and that was another reason why I think that i that James believed that I'd be a good fit just because I'm always around. Right. And, and to this day, you know, I, I don't know if I get in as early as coach, but I'm always around the facility. So you're on coach's time. When coach is in at 5 a.m., you got to be at, in at 5 a.m. And if coach needs anything at 2 a.m., you need to be around at 2 a.m. Um, it was a little bit of a hybrid of, of what the internship was like now filtering in some football. So certainly on coach's watch and um, working on typing out the game plans for him and working on, um, you know, little things in the office for coach. So it was a little bit of a hybrid where you're still stocking coach's fridge and you're still doing um, – McDonald runs and you're still picking up laundry. Uh, but then you're also getting to sit and watch tape with coach and you're, you're um, when coach finishes up a game plan, I mean, you're typing up the game plans and you're getting to read his writing and, and how he sees things. And um, you know, he's going to give you some, some, you know, data analytics to, to, to work on for him and some coverage stuff and, and um, different formational stuff and, and how teams use coverages. So it was a hybrid of, of the internship where you're doing a lot of the grunt work with some introductory football stuff. Um, but really I think the most important aspect of that relationship was, was I just got to be around him and I just got to see him go to work, see how he handles different situations, see his, his attention to detail. Um, and, and I think I hit this at the right time in regards to where I am now. When coach got to Philadelphia, he was a football coach and that's what he did. And he had, player personnel people around him as coach grew in that position um by the time I got there in, in 07 or 08 coach was basically coach slash GM so he had like a dual role where I would say most people that were, were coaches assistants prior to me James uh, I think Sean McDermott had that position 
uh, it was when you worked for coach, you, you did the grunt work and you, you just worked on football. By the time I got there, coach was also doing a ton of player personnel stuff. So when I got there, I was doing the grunt work, doing some football in the fall, and then really helping him with some um, personnel stuff in the spring. So, hey, go grab me these. Back in the day, it's so long ago, and time moved so fast. We still have some some videos. I, I remember going to the back of the Philadelphia Eagles complex, the, the back locker room there, or the back um, – in the back corner of the player personnel department, we used to have the old VHS and tapes and we were grabbing like these yellow tapes. And um, I was making cups for him uh, of players and, Hey, I want to watch receivers. You want to watch with me, grab me these guys tapes. I want this guy, this guy, this guy, I would go down pick up some of these uh, videos and we would just go through and I'd, I'd be at the office all night with coach, just watching guys and watching small school players. I remember we joke about it all the time. I forget what draft it was, but I was still coach's assistant. So I guess it was 07, 08, one of those years where it was literally 2, 3 a.m. And we were watching at the time. This is right before we drafted Deshaun Jackson. So we didn't have a punt returner. We were watching a Division two or Division three highlight reel of, of a some small receiver punt returner. And coach looks over to me. He says, Beach, he said, it's 2 a.m. the night before the draft, and we're watching some Division II punt returner. How crazy are we? And I said, we are crazy, Coach, but we love it. So that's just – I mean, that's that's Coach. I mean, you know, it's it, it's uh, spending weeks and, and months preparing for a Bill Belichick defense and how he's going to crack the code to being up at 2 a.m. watching some Division three punt returner that is on no one's radar. He doesn't miss a trick. I w- so I got two questions on that. The first one is like – the first one's pretty simple. Like, I'd imagine that's an incredible experience for a young guy being Andy Reid's right hand man. You know, just as you're sort of trying to turn the corner in the business. Um, what like like is there something that people don't know about Andy that you picked up over that time that like really maybe I don't know like isn't just about him being a good coach. It's just about him being a successful person. Was there anything that you just like just being around him as much as you were? you were able to pick up and maybe apply to your own career? Absolutely. And I think, you know, this is, this is the why, this is the reason if you don't know Andy Reid, um, obviously people, you know, in our business do, but people, if they don't know him, if they want to know why Andy Reid is so loved and so revered, it is absolutely the way he treats people. Um, and you had asked about, what I take away most from that experience, which was amazing. What I take away most from that experience is I knew one one hundredth of football in regards to comparing my knowledge to coach Reed, right? I, you know, I'm a football player at university of Delaware, two years graduate assistant. Here I am with um, a very successful uh, coach in the NFL. Who's obviously accomplished so much, been to a bunch of NFC championship games, um, you know, known as one of the best coaches in the NFL. When I first started working for him, the first few weeks and months, I was intimidated because I just, I didn't know what he wanted, how he wanted it. And I was intimidated because I'm working with a guy that knows so much football. I mean, how am I going to add anything to the table? But, but he would often ask me for my thoughts and opinions. And I'm saying to myself, why does he care what I think? I know nothing, right? And it was that thought process where you can learn something from anybody. Um, and I still kind of carry that 
with me today because everyone's going to have different life experiences and different knowledge that they bring to the table. So when I'm in my personnel meetings and we have young interns or first-year scouts working for us, um, I always work with that mindset that they're going to bring something to the table. Maybe they saw something I haven't seen or maybe they've experienced something I haven't experienced and that their, their point of view is going to be something that is completely unique and I can learn from them. And I think that when you talk about Andy Reid, you talk about a guy that has zero ego and he wants to know what you have to think. I remember when I was his assistant and we had a young intern walk by coach, they were talking about a college football game and you know, the kid, the, the young intern, I forget who it was. I said, the coach, hey, coach, did you watch this game? And coach is like, no, you know, what happened? Well, man, this this and that, this team, you know, this uh, Pac-10 team, this receiver at Oregon State was just amazing. I think he's going to be a great pro. Oh, yeah, what's his name? And a week later, coach would grab me. Remember when the intern came by and, and mentioned that whiteout? Um, go grab me his tape. I want to watch it. He values people's opinions authentically, right? So it's not like, it's not just let me know what you think. Okay, I know more than you. So I appreciate what you're telling me, but I'm Andy Reid and I, I've been doing this. No, like he values people's opinions. He values your opinions. If you're a, uh, if you're an opposing team's head coach, he values your, your opinion. If you're a GM, if you're a director of player personnel, if you're a lead cap guy, he values your opinion. If you're a first year intern, I mean, that's the way he works and it's just unique and special. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that you take away is that he, he genuinely values people and their opinions and, and wants to learn from everybody. That's really, that's really interesting. I mean, it takes humility to do that too, right? Like it takes like, I, you know, maybe I have more experience than this guy, but that one nugget might help me. That one thing that he saw that I didn't see, like maybe the kid has a long way to go, but he still has something to offer. Yeah. I mean, and coach says it all the time. He said, he said, we're nothing more than teachers. That's all we are. We're, we're teachers. And, and, you know, a good teacher always understands that he can learn something from everybody, but it's not fake. It, it's not um, something that it just sounds good or, Oh, you know, what do you think about this? Okay, great. And then as soon as the kid leaves, it's like, okay, whatever. No, like he really values people's opinions. And again, I think that that helped me a lot because when I first started working for him, I was certainly intimidated and I didn't want to, I was worried that my opinion was going to be so um, in contrast to his, that he would just, you know, dismiss me in regards to, well, listen, I'm not going to ask that again because, you know, this kid clearly doesn't know what I'm talking about. No, it was like, I want to, I want to see what you, what you know, I want to see what you're passionate about and he was the one that that you know as I was doing stuff for him in the fall with the coaching stuff and then doing stuff for him at the spring he actually grabbed me in one day he said you know I've observed you Brett and he said you know when I ask you to do stuff in regards to breaking down coverages and scheme evaluations you do a great job um but you're not you know you ask questions but when I ask you to pull up some tape and what you think you're asking me tons of questions and you're 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 building upon those questions he was like you know just by observing you he's like i think you really like this personnel stuff more and he was like so i know most of my guys kind of graduate eventually to quality control which but you know i think i think you should think about personnel have you ever thought about it and that was the first time i've ever thought about personnel i was like no but you're right shoot when we do get to the spring i am you know a little bit more enthusiastic about player personnel i am following up questions upon questions uh and it, it just intrigued me more and i he actually is the one that kind of recommended you know we can do an unconventional route here instead of you graduating a quality control coach maybe we just take you to this personnel side so that was the first time i thought about ever working personnel 
I, that's you know that was going to be my second question was was like when the light went on because I assume it I assumed it did at some point. Do you remember when that was and how much thought had to go into it? Because that's like I you know you like you said son of a coach like to that point you probably pretty much worked exclusively with coaches right and so in a way you're so pulling up stakes and moving to a different side of the building. Um, you know what do you think it was that uh, like whether it was the the, the, the hunt for the division two kid that, 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 that you think ha- like should have a shot, whatever it was, what was it that you think attracted you to player personnel? And, um, and when did you actually, like, how did like the whole process of graduating to that next job happen? Yeah, I think it was just, you know, the love for college football. And I think it was just the love for projecting, you know, seeing guys on tape and, and really, um, envisioning what they would be a pro as a pro. So when coach had me do a lot of this pull tape to watch this guy, or I want you to do this or do that. It, it just got, it got fascinating to me how all these guys have statistics and all these guys have height, weight, and speed. Okay. So what do they all mean and how does it all work together? And, you know, this guy is well known. Um, but when you, when you just work through hours and hours of tape, at a you know a certain position, you know finding guys that you know maybe their stats weren't as good and maybe they played at a lower level, but just matching athletic traits and and trying to uncover guys that athletically are more visually impressive, even though they don't have stats or if they don't have um, you know the accolades of, of other players. I thought that whole process of uncovering players that just maybe they didn't have a good quarterback if you're a wideout, right? Maybe they were in a, in a, um, you know, not, maybe they were in a small conference or small school or didn't have a scheme that really highlighted their abilities. I think it was just the process to just find the traits that are just really eye popping on tape and not reading into just numbers and stats. Uh, I, you know, that certainly fascinated me. And then when coach had mentioned to me that, man, you really like this personnel stuff. Well, I was always blessed. I think my entire life of always being surrounded by, by great people. And, you know, I, I was at a, a high school that won a bunch of state titles. I go to Delaware. I'm with Tubby Raymond and Matt Nagy, great people. Then I'm with Kirk Shiraka. Then I'm working with James Urban. Now I'm here with, with coach. But even at the time, even though I wasn't doing personnel as coach's assistant, you're always around the personnel because the offices are basically connected. So I was always talking football with those guys. So when I start first start working with the Eagles, I mean, Tom Heckert was there, um, you know, Matt Russell, Jason Light, John Spitek, Howie Roseman, Ryan Grigson. I mean, the entire personnel department were basically future GMs. So when Coach had mentioned to me that, you know, if that's an area you want to go, um, we, we can make it happen because I think Tom Heckert had just taken the Cleveland Browns job. So Tom had taken some of his guys with them. You know, Matt went on, Jason went on, um, uh, trying to think I think spy tech went on with Jason and, and Matt was in Denver and um, Tom went to I think spy tech went with Hecker to Cleveland so there were some openings so it, I it kind of worked out where as coach kind of uh, saw that passion I had for personnel you know it kind of lined up with Tom going to Cleveland taking some people with him some entry-level scouting positions open so I got to smoothly transition uh, as Howie Roseman took over. I got to smoothly transition into an office scout and then work my way up from the area scouts. Um, so it was really just lining up the timing where 
Um, I got a chance to demonstrate my love and passion for scouting. Coach noticed it. Uh, Tom Heckard went to Cleveland. There was naturally some opening, openings within the building, and I was able to kind of slide in there and work on my, you know, new line, which would be the, the personnel side. What was your what what was your area when you did become an area scout? That was your last job in Philly, right? Yeah, so I started out as basically um, an office scout, and then I had a chance. You, know, you talk about all these great people I had to work with. Then I had a chance as an office scout, you know, updating the pro boards and, and watching, you know, pro players in the fall, some practice squad players um, before the college season. But being in the office, then I had a chance, you know. Lewis Riddick was there at the time and and I would spend hours in Lewis's office I mean just talking about pro Lewis taught me a lot about the pro side of things and um so my first uh position with the Eagles was basically uh I was I was an office scout and updated boards and I watched practice squad guys and I updated practice squad rosters in the in the fall and then helped them with with lower level colleges in the spring um, but that was a great chance for me to, to learn a lot about the pro side. And, and I would update the boards in, in, in the fall and I would work on practice squad guys and I would go right into Lewis Riddick's office. And, you know, we would talk about, you know, how to uncover practice squad poach players and, and how to build a roster. We would exchange ideas and I learned a lot from him. And then, um, and then in the, in the spring, I got a chance to do uh, a lot with, with, um, you know, Ryan Grixon and, and he would send me out to pro days and some smaller pro days to just build my college foundation. And shortly after that, I, I, um, I was able to gra- kind of graduate from that job and, and, and cover the Midwest for the Eagles. Um, that was probably my first area job was, so I go from coach's assistant to office, uh, office assistant and personnel to Midwest scout did that for a few years. And, and um, fortunately, you know, Howie and, and, and Ryan Grixon and Lewis Riddick, they had enough faith in me where they put me down south to cover the SEC. So then I ended up doing that um, for a few years. And then after that kind of phase, after that phase, I believe that's when coach transitioned to Kansas City. And because of my prior relationship w- with coach, and mentioned to me, hey, listen, I'm, I'm taking this job in Kansas City. And I know that you know, listen, I spent a bunch of time with him. And, and then when I graduated over to the personnel side, coach knew that um, there was going to be a, a, a new personnel department at the time. I, you know, I don't know if he knew who he was going to hire yet. I, I certainly didn't. But uh, Coach mentioned to me, hey, listen, you know, I, I think you got a bright future in this personnel stuff. And um, I'm going to take this job in Kansas City. I don't know who the GM is, but I'm going to recommend to the GM that, you know, you would be a good position. Um, you would be a good hire at whatever position that he thinks. And that's kind of how I got my introduction to Kansas City. Well, all right. So I do want to get to that part, but and like then really quick, then I... the really, really quick, the one thing I wanted to ask, I, I have asked this of other guys, when you were an area scout, is there one fa- guy you found as an area scout that you're proud of? Like whether it was in the Midwest or in the South, is there one that you can point to that was sort of maybe the guy that other people would point to as, yeah, Brett found that guy. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I think we we all, um, you know, we, we all have those stories. I I think in my position now, I'm a little bit more calculated because I realize there's so much work and effort that goes in, you know, from an organization. I, you know, I, I do remember, um, I do remember that when I had a chance to, to go back, you know, the way this, the way scouting works is everyone has an area, but then 
a lot of times GMs will give you positions to cross check. Uh, so you'll spend the entire fall on in an area and, and you'll write up all those areas. And then GMs like to have a area scout cross check a position. So they get to be familiar with other players uh, throughout the country and then compare them to the players that they have seen. So um, I do remember that, uh, you know, and, and, and coach can vouch for me, uh, you know, LaShawn McCoy's season, you know, I, I, I just thought that you know, maybe I was biased because I'm from the Harrisburg area, right? And, and LaShawn went to Bishop McDevitt and we had played the, the uh, McDevitt in high school. But I just thought that that he was by far the, the best running back in the draft. And, you know, I I, I think uh, I think LaShawn Marino was the first running back taken. But I uh, I was an, out, an outsider in the fact that I just thought that LaShawn McCoy was just dynamic. I thought he just – his vision, his instincts were just – how could this guy not be a first-round pick? And – and I remember him sliding the second round, and I'm like looking at coach, like, "Oh my god, we got to get this guy." But you know, there's you know, every scout has those score- stories. Unfortunately, we probably have a lot of bad ones too that we like to forget. We always remember the good ones, right? <laughs> yeah. We remember the good stories, and we're always, yeah, this was, this was my guy, and that was my guy. But you know, all those guys that you missed on, we 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 forget those real quick. So we look real smart, and everybody thinks that we have all the answers, but that's that's not the case. I can attest to you know, certainly there's a lot of ones I like to forget. I wish I could go back in time and and delete my early reports on what I thought of some guys that didn't pan out. But um, I'll certainly be quick to tell you that LaShawn McCoy and you know, Pat Mahomes. Yeah, I was right there, but I, I don't want you to ever see the bad ones I had, right? <laughs> yeah. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 
6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 with all your favorite apps built in you can stream straight out of the box you can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app looking for a smaller or bigger screen vizio offers unbeatable prices on all v-series 4k smart tvs head to walmart.com today and score the 4k tv you've been waiting for yeah so uh all right so like like when you look forward to kansas city then um you know obviously chip gets to philly uh, like was that a tough call? Like, did you have the opportunity to stay in Philly? And if you did, or, or was it just a no-brainer? Because I, I I look at your initial title at Kansas City, right? I believe it was pro and college personnel analyst. A little vague, right? Like, so was <laughs> it a no-brainer or was that a tough call at all? Um, It was a no-brainer for me just because of, of, you know, my loyalty to Coach Reed. I mean, when he – when he took the job in Kansas city and, you know, he called and said to me, I don't know who's going to be the GM or, or, you know, how this is going to play out, but, you know, I do think that you have a bright future and I'm going to recommend to the GM we hire that you would be a great hire. I took, I took that as the ultimate compliment. And at that point, I mean, coach Reed could have taken the job in Alaska and I, I would have went there just because I had so much, um, obviously belief in him, but again, so much respect for him that I, I, I thought it was, you know, the ultimate honor for him to call me and say that, you know, that, you know, and I, time had passed. So I wasn't his assistant anymore. And I was just working with the personnel side, but for him to, to, you know, remember the work I did for him and remember, remember the relationship we had for him to call and say that I'm going to recommend, if you'd be interested, let me know. I, you know, certainly I'm from the East coast. I uh, went to Delaware 45 minutes away from Philadelphia um, but even though I went, I was from PA, worked for the Eagles from the East Coast, family from the East Coast, I just knew, you know, it was that, you know, I think all good scouts have that gut instinct, but it was the same, same thing here. I had that instinct that I am going wherever coach, if coach asked me, I'm gone. And I remember telling that to my family, I said, what's going to happen with coach? And I said, well, if he gets a job, he's going to be highly coveted. Well, well, you think, you know, you'll have a chance to work with him. I said, I have no idea, but if he calls me, I'm, I'm there. And he did, and um, it wasn't until later, until John Dorsey got the job that I got that call. But I had already made up my mind that if John Dorsey wanted me on his staff, I was going. And then you talk about just, again, continually being surrounded by great people. You know, I'm in Philadelphia, and I'm working with Hecker and, and Russell and Light and Roseman and, and Lewis Riddick. And now I go, to, I go to Kansas City, and I get to work with John Dorsey and Chris Ballard. I mean, I, I just, I've just gotten extremely lucky. And so now – I get to Kansas City, and the best thing about Kansas City was, you talk about that title being being vague, right? Pro college analyst, but the cool thing about working with John and Chris was, they let me just. It was almost like uh, you know an artist getting a blank canvas. John and Chris treated me like, hey, I want to see what you know. You you do as little or as much as you want, in pro or college. I mean, basically sky's the limit with what you want to do. I, you know, coach says you're good. Let's see. So I got to sit and, and, you know, watch tape and, and 
now, you know, you build a resume where you feel confident in talking football and building rosters. And, and John and Chris were the type that, again, like Andy, were they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't wired as, as to, well, all right, that's great, but here's what we're going to do. Let me know what you think. And, you know, let me, let me see how, you know, let me see your ideas and concepts of building a roster. So we would get to the, you know, the pro side of things and, you know, we would talk about, you know, now I had a foundation of, of, you know, where we can get value and, and, you know, poaching players and, and claiming players at the, the deadline. And, and um, certainly these guys had a ton of knowledge and I learned so much for them, but I was in an environment where I was able to speak up and, you know, some of my ideas probably weren't great, but a few other ideas, you know, made it to the table and, we ended up getting those guys, but they allowed me to be myself and they allowed me to, to, um, to dive into every aspect of the pro side. And then on the college side, you know, I would get together with John and Chris and, you know, we would just lay out uh, a landscape of schools and I'd be able to go all over the country now. So I went from, you know, the Midwest in Philly to the Southeast in Philly, having a foundation in, in office pro personnel to going to Kansas city, uh, being involved in, all the workouts being involved in all the acquisitional phases of the pro side in the fall, and then kind of bouncing around the country um, also in the fall to, to look at some college prospects. But John and Chris both allowed me to really take my game to the next level. So I think I was a, you know, a good scout that was, had a good foundation in Philadelphia um, working with those people I, I mentioned. And then when I got to Kansas city, John and Chris just took my career to a new level because they just let me uh, get creative and, really just allowed me to to grow at a rapid speed yeah you know what's so interesting about that too brett is like you know obviously john worked all those years under ron wolf and i remember asking because because obviously ron wolf's tree a lot of guys came out of that tree and have been successful um you know we've seen the names john schneider you know scott McLuhan, uh, reggie mckenzie um you know and john's on that list too and i and i remember asking those guys like well, how come so many people have come out of that tree? And it sounds like their answer is just like your answer, which their answer almost uniformly was he let us see everything. He wasn't secretive. And I know it's not that way everywhere, but it was like he let us behind the curtain. So even if you're a young scout, you don't have a ton of responsibility. You get to see what the people who do have the responsibility are doing. And I'm guessing that that probably had a huge impact on like just accelerating maybe your development as a young scout. Uh, 100%. Um, you know, John always says, you know, John and, and really was the first uh, personnel guy to explain to me, there's no such thing as pro and college scouts. I mean, you're going to have titles, but the reality of it is, Brett, you have to know everything. You got to know pro, you got to know college. Look, those those pro guys that you're giving big contracts to, there's a foundation for those guys. You get those guys coming out, um, you, know, you know those guys, you got to cross train. You know, you can't just sit in the pro office all year and not watch college. You can't be on the road all year and not be updated with, with pro. Um, you know, John was a big advocate of cross training and making sure pro people get enough college exposure and making sure those college scouts get, to get enough pro exposure. And so when you talk about that title, pro and college analyst, I mean, and then knowing that you're working with John and, and Chris Ballard, uh, they let you, you know, it, it's, it's like cross-training on steroids because, I mean, you're really in every aspect. Like I said, you know, you're, you're watching pro tape throughout the week. You're helping, um, 
you know, formulate a list. If you have a guy that's injured, you're formulating lists, you're working those guys out, you're scanning through practice squad. And as soon as you have a guy get hurt or injured, you know, you're, you're able to just walk in John's office or walk in Chris's office and say, Hey, we need to poach this guy or, Hey, we need to work this guy out. And those guys, and those guys, you know, were wired like coach Reed. They weren't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, all right, let's go watch them. Hey, hey, Chris, you know, Beach wants to watch this guy. Let's go. I mean, that's how it, that's how it worked. It was fascinating because it was so much openness and trust. It was it, it was as simple as, hey, uh, Chris, I want to watch this guy. I think we should add this guy or or Chris coming down. Hey, Beach, John and I are going to watch this guy. We're going to add him. Why don't you watch him with us? All right. That's unique. You don't get that in a lot of places where some guys just want to do it all by the some guys only have a, another person maybe two that do that with i mean i'd get a call from john and he would say hey we're going to watch tape here i think we're going to sign this guy you want to watch him with us and chris would do the same way but that openness you talk about that hey we're all working together here and you know if you're willing to come in here and work um we don't there's no such thing as you just do pro you just do college no we're just we're our profession is just finding football players at every level and so it was a really a, a broad concept of we get in here and we're watching football players we're not specific into college or analytics or pro no we're doing everything we're doing everything and we're going to collaborate on everything and the more we collaborate the more we trust the less errors and the less mistakes we'll make how like so you work you're, you're working ways that way up i know you got promoted there after two years um into a director role um what do you like what sort of impact, like, if you take both of them, because obviously both John and Chris have track records, like, what do you think one thing you took from each guy was? Um, I think with with John, it was um, a just, I think it's funny because I, I think that I'm kind of a, maybe a, a little bit of a hybrid of both of those where John is old school. I mean, he is tape, 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 tape watching all the tape, just close the door in the draft room. Uh, you know, prior to coming to, to Kansas City working with the Eagles, we had scouting in the fall, and we had basically um, – we had – brain meetings were more of an overview and intellectual debate over guys. When I got to Kansas City, it was my introduction to the 17 days – with your scouts prior to the combine. So now all of a sudden I come from Philly where it's tape work in the, in the fall overview meetings, uh, character meetings, and just broad thinking in regards to your spring meetings. I come to Kansas city and scouting in the fall. And then all of a sudden the season ends and every single scout college and pro is locked in a room and you start watching tape at 5am and you're watching tape until you know, six, seven o'clock at night for 17 straight days. It's like training camp for scouts. And, and, but John was wired in the old school. Like we're just going to exhaust the tape. We're going to exhaust the tape on every level. And we're going to stick to some, some certain principles in regards to, you know, we're not watching five, nine corners or five, eight corners. No, this is a big man's game. Uh, this size wins, size matters tape. Uh, and we're going to exhaust the tape and just, you know, make our decisions based primarily on tape. Chris was wired the same way in regards to the tape. Chris had a little bit more of an analytics mind to him where Chris wanted to bring some more numbers in um, and talk about how analytics could play a role in this and, you know, discuss, you know, A scores or athletic scores. And uh, Chris was involved in a little bit more of a new age of football where, you know, listen, we're going to watch 
hey, but, you know, let's let's go back and let's review some of these guys that maybe their tape wasn't great, but these scores suggest they're going to be really good. So uh, both guys were extremely hard workers, and um, both guys, you know, I learned a ton from. But, uh, you know, John was was a firm believer in, you know, I, if I don't see it on tape, I you know, I'm really not going to going to be there. Chris was a little bit open minded to um, to bring in guys from an analytic standpoint. Um, but it was it was cool because, you know, both guys, you, you know, just had a love and passion for the game that I certainly had. And I got to see how they worked. And, and again, John, um, the amount of meeting time and the amount of time spent in the room watching tape was something that I, I was just a, a natural connection with because that's what I love to do. And being in this environment where I got to, I love those 16 day meetings. I love seeing, you know, I'm hearing a lot about this guy. And even though I haven't been in this school and haven't seen him on tape, now I get to see him on tape. And now it's not just me sending in a report, comparing my guy to a cross check guy. Now it's, it's me talking out loud about this. So it's not like we're not having discussions through our reports and through online, you know, written written debates it's we're going to go in there and and look you know another cool aspect of these meetings were i mean you know just like you're like a family so i mean there's times where it gets a little personal i mean there's five there's you know there's some arguments in there uh, um but you get to stand up and 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 really you get to put it all on the table and, and john was like that john's like all right you, you know you like this guy you didn't go in there but you think he's this or you think he's that well uh, you know you're going to have to stand up in front of the group and make your case. It's not going to, you're not sending me a report and tell me what you think of this guy. You're going to tell the whole, you're going to tell the whole room. So there's that accountability where there's, you know, there, there's an accountability to what you feel and what you believe in front of the whole staff. And the cool aspect of that. And the reason why um, my model is very similar is I've always said that when you have a draft, it's easy to say, the organization was on board. Our player personnel staff was on board. But if you don't have those meetings, and if you don't air out all of your thoughts in front of everybody, you don't really have that. And then what, what creeps in is, well, I didn't really like this guy. Who do, Someone else in the building liked him. I'm not sure who it was. It's like that secrecy. If you're going to be successful, you got to be open, and everyone has to know where you feel. So that's the, the best part about John and Chris where – you know, they had this this format, and John brought it from Green Bay, where we're going to sit and we're going to watch 16 games. And if you have an opinion on a player that maybe the room doesn't, so maybe the room, maybe the three or four guys that scouted this player think he's a fifth-round pick, but you had a chance because we allow you to do whatever you want. You think he's a second-round pick. Well, you're not going to just tell me on the side why you think he's a second-round pick. No, you're going to tell the 25 scouts in the room why you think he's a second-round pick. And you're going to go up there and make your case. And you're going to do it in front of everybody. Buddy. And a lot of times we have the ability to do that and, and potentially change the room's outlook on a guy. Or a lot of times you just got put in your place and you got shamed out of the room, right? So it was, it was, uh, it was cool. You, you know, you had to be buttoned up in those meetings. You couldn't go into those meetings and not know your stuff. You had to know your stuff or you would get embarrassed. And, and so it's like a good, like, it's a good, it's, it's a good kind it's almost like a good kind of pressure then like, right. Like that, like you knew like yeah. that you were going to get called out if you got, if you, if, if you were wrong. Yeah. You, if you submit, if you submitted any, like if you went into a school, obviously if you're an area scout, that's your job. But if, if you, if you cross check the guy or if you just watch the guy on tape, if you submitted anything into the computer, 
you were getting called on. So you, you can't just throw in a, a report on anything. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll watch, you know, you'll do your area and you'll have thoughts on a guy. Well, if you don't put it in writing and if you don't have it in the system, you don't have a voice now because if it's not, if you're not accountable for it, if it's not in the system, I don't want to hear from you. So you can't just say, I want to look at uh, a certain receiver. For, like if you're a Midwest scout and you know, you did all the receivers in the Midwest and then you went to an all-star game uh, and you thought this receiver at an all-star game was really good. Well, go back and watch the tape and write it up because if you don't go back and watch the tape and write it up, you're not going to have a voice in the room. If you want to do them, that's fine. Do them, do some research, put it in, put it in the report. But if you don't put the report in, you're not getting called. If you do put the report in, you better have done the tape work because you're going to get, get called upon and we're going to know what games, what you saw that we didn't see. So if you're putting a report in and you have a second round grade on a guy and there are three or four guys that have fifth round grades on a guy that went in there, boy, you better have a strong case and you better be buttoned up. Or, you know, you'll get embarrassed, but I loved it. And I thought it was great. And I thought it was, you know, I thought two things. It, it heightened your accountability at all levels, but it also worked to develop the true concept of the room was all on board, right? That's how you get the room on board. Now, it doesn't mean everyone is going to see players the same way, but everyone's going to have an understanding of why we select this player because we will have discussed it in front of everyone for weeks. Okay, so you work, you work, you work, and you've made it now to the point where, I, you know, you're showing up on some watch lists and everything else, um, and you get your shot in the most unconventional way. How, how hard was it to see what happened with John in 2017 and simultaneously maybe kind of know in the back of your head that the opportunity might be coming? I mean, I'm assuming that that was probably at least somewhat difficult. Yeah, for sure. Because again, I learned so much um, from John and, you know, backing up, it was, it was exciting to see, you know, Chris get this opportunity in, in Indianapolis because, you know, he was a guy that I highly respected. Um, and then transitioning into that uh, spring and, and, and summer, um, you know, it was tough because, you know, I learned a lot from him. He taught me a lot. Uh, we had a really good relationship. Um, but then things kind of happened so quickly, as you mentioned, you know, it wasn't an unconventional time. And then it almost was like one of those positions that, you know, it, it was difficult because, you know, you had a relationship with John, but at the same time, you know, within a short amount of time, you know, you're, you're having to interview and you're having to put your thoughts together. So, and then the timing of it was so late in the summer where it was almost like you had, didn't even have time to really process everything going on because it was basically the organization's going in this direction. You have a chance to make your case on to why you think, you know, you could continue on uh, the path that we're, we're going to. And, you know, once I got named GM, I realized that I got to put a whole calendar together. That's my calendar within weeks of training camp. So I think everything happened so, so quick and so fast. Um, I don't know if I had a time to really grasp everything going on other than, you know, I just got to put together. And now listen, the advantage that I had, I didn't interview for a different organization with a different staff. Uh, these are the guys that I've worked with since 2013. So even though I had to adjust and things happened very fast, it happened with a group that I had gone to work with since 2013, every single day. 
they knew me, they trusted me, I knew them, and I, I trusted them. I mean, really, if you go back, I mean, there are some subtle changes here and there, but really the staff is, is primarily the same. I brought a few new guys in, but, um, but that just goes for the, it just shows the respect I had for the guys I worked with all those years. Um, and these guys really helped me with my transition because they knew that we were behind the eight ball before we started that 17 season. But there was five, six years of working together and that trust that we were able to hit the ground running as best we can. Do you think the scouting of Pat had an impact on you landing the job? Um, and I, I just wonder because the timing's interesting, you know, right? Like you guys draft Pat and you become the GM a couple months after that. Did you ever get any feedback from anybody, whether it's Clark or, you know, Donovan or, um, you know, or, or Andy, like, did, do you, do you think that that had any impact on you getting the job? Well, I, I think anytime you attach Pat Mahomes, it never hurts. Right. So I think, uh, just saying his name, you know, I think, you know, it, you know, it can't hurt now, you know, certainly listen, I was in a position where, um, you know, we were in the quarterback market and, you know, I, I, I was able to, you know, um, uh, you know, go out there and, and see Pat Mahomes play. And I was certainly able to, because of my relationship with John and because of my relationship with Andy and because they trusted me, I was able to go in there, you know, all throughout the fall and, you know, tell John and tell Andy, Hey, you know, you got to watch this game. You got to watch this throw. And I would be texting these guys, you know, videos throughout the fall. Um, and, um, I certainly wore those guys out with Pat Mahomes, but you know, I, you know, I think that once we make the trade, then obviously the owner realizes all that went into this. And, and, you know, so the fact that I was able to, you know, talk to John and talk to Andy all the time about Pat and, and the fact that, you know, we were able to, you know, really study the landscape of, of the trade and understand that, you know, I think it, as Clark worked through the interview process and, and, you know, I think knowing that acquiring and landing a franchise quarterback is, you know, a, a tough task for, for a GM. And I think it probably gave con- confidence to Clark knowing that, you know, I was so highly involved in that. And, and, you know, that was probably a great example of, uh, you know, potentially that, you know, this, you know, that exercise in and of itself, um, you know, identifying and then, and then, figuring out and aiding in, in, in a way to get up there and get this guy is, is probably a really good example to give Clark confidence that I would be a guy. So I would certainly say it helped. I think it gave Clark some real time uh, example of, you know, the creativity and the passion that, you know, this kid will have, you know, if he's going to, he's going to put it all, you know, again, you go back to accountability. Like if you're going to scout a guy like Pat Mahomes and, you know, if a lot of people think he's a system quarterback in the second round and you think he's a franchise player, again, it goes back to the draft room and accountability, right? So you're on the record for the whole whole crew. So once you're able to go there and, and make the move and, you know, show that, that you know, you'll, you'll put it on the table if you believe in somebody, I think it certainly gave Clark a lot of confidence moving forward. Now, the only thing I didn't have working in my favor at the time were Pat Mahomes didn't play a game at the time. So, uh, you know, I think Clark – I think Clark certainly loved, you know, I think the example certainly gave Clark confident that, you know, you know, going through that process, here's a real life example of, of, you know, what this kid can do. So, um, you know, I think that exercise helped, uh, you know, the fact that Pat didn't take a snap yet, I, I think Clark probably wanted to see a lot more. And, you know, I think over a three year period, you know, fortunately 
me and my staff were able to show him and show coach that, you know, we're capable of a lot more too. So that, that was a good thing. Did anybody tell you, like, did, did any of those guys ever tell you how you won the interview? Like, was there anything that you did in the interview? And I think this would be good for like a young scout to hear. Like, was there anything that like any of the, those guys said to you, like that right there is how you won the job? Well, I think, you know, my ability to kind of um, demonstrate to them long-term thinking and fluidity. I think in this game, in this profession, um, you always have to be thinking two, three years down the line, uh, even four years down the line, um, how you get creative with your cap, how you prepare for, you know, to put a roster together in the short term and the impacts of the long term, just your, your, you know, your broad term thinking on, on players. And, and I I certainly think that, you know, there's a a cultural aspect too, that is important for owners and head coaches um, uh, to buy into uh, because this game is competitive and you know, you have to, you have to fill your rosters with talent one through 53, but you also have to be wired a certain way and you, you, you know, guys have to work together. There's a, a lot of teams that are talented. They just don't have the success off the field. And that's because they have a cultural problem in their locker room. And I think spending a lot of time on, on just, uh, you know, future planning, uh, how, how you build and develop your roster and just really hitting on the cultural aspect. And, and really, um, I think working with coach and understanding um, what he likes in regards to culture and players, everybody likes talented players, but you know how those players have to be wired a certain way to handle a coach read camp and to handle the way he does things. I think that um, all those things combined were, were something that probably gave Clark and Andy a lot of confidence moving forward. Yeah. Like that's interesting. Cause you always hear like, I don't know. I've always, I always felt like the best GMs are the ones who were saying like, I'm not just drafting players. I'm drafting players for my coaches and that they have to be able to work together. And if they can't work together or if they don't aren't a fit, then that doesn't mean anything. So that's, it's interesting. You bring that up a couple last things I want to get to. We'll let you go. Um, and I feel like we could go for three hours on this stuff, Brett, but, um, you know, one of the things that I thought, one of the things I always think is interesting with players as unique as Pat is that certain people have vision for them. Um, and I do remember, you know, it's, it's easy to forget this now as great as he's been the last three years that there was a lot of split opinion on him. And some people thought like, well, this isn't really an NFL player. He's so unconventional. If you look back at like just kind of the way that you were taught and the way you came up in the business, what do you think allowed? Because everybody's heard the story by now of how you sort of found Pat and you kept texting Andy, the, the clips of Pat. You mentioned that before. Um what do you think allowed you to see Pat maybe a little differently than another scout would? Well, I think the, the sometimes it's, it, it's just a basic for me, a basic litmus test. Uh, you know, when you watch a player, uh, I always joke with my guys, you know, I have like this excitometer, you know, in my mind, like when you watch a player, you have to watch a player and you have to watch X amount of games and, you know, you're going to watch as much tape as you can, but if you're watching a lineman, a receiver, a linebacker, you know, you're going to watch your, your standard four or five games. And then hopefully you get to go back and and watch later games when you're doing a guy in the fall. But there's an element of when you're watching a player, uh, looking back on your, on your notes and just, you know, the impact the player left. And when you get a special player, he's one of those guys that you start the tape. And then when you look up, you don't even realize that four or five hours have passed and you watched every single game because you're not even thinking 
of this as an assignment. It's just something that is just a fascinating experience. So when you're watching Pat Mahomes, and I actually remember in the spring, uh, they had a lineman there. You know, Pat was a junior. He was on some lists. And I'm actually going through a spring list and watching some offensive linemen at Texas Tech. Um, Pat's a guy that, you know, at the time had some numbers, but he wasn't a guy that at that time, the spring before his junior season, he wasn't a guy that is coming out, a first-round pick, you know, watch this guy. He was a guy that put up some stats. And watching this offensive lineman, I remember starting with the LSU game and seeing this quarterback, I was like, who is this guy? And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This guy's making throws, and this team is completely undermatched, and he is just putting on a show, and, and this team should be getting blown out, but this kid is just all over the place. And then you're looking up as, well, how tall is he? And, you know, where's he from? And what's his story? And is he going to come out? And just getting completely infatuated by the guy. But I think he's one of those guys that you watch and, you know, you see he has a unique and uncanny ability, you know, to make people around him better. And that's obviously uh, a standard line that people use. Well, he makes people around him better. But this was like visual evidence that was so eye-popping. Here you are, you're watching Texas Tech. They're playing an LSU team that has a bunch of first-round picks that year on both sides of the football. And, and he single-handedly is, is unstoppable. Um, so you want to talk about making people around him better and making things happen when things shouldn't happen. And then your mind starts to think, what if you put him with Coach Reed? And what if he was able to, to understand – the West Coast offense, and what if you put a ton of talent around this guy? If this guy can line up um, against LSU and have first-round defense alignment breathing down his neck, have first-round corners covering his wideouts, have first-round safeties you know, playing the deep half of the field, and he is able to just on his own uh, move the ball up and down the field and make something out of nothing, what if you put him with Coach Reed? And what if he had better receivers than the other team and what if you had an offensive lineman offensive lineman that can protect him this guy could be the limit for this guy because this guy is is like nothing we've seen before and that's kind of how it starts and then you know when when the organization you know feels the same way after a certain time you know you start thinking wow i mean you know this could be this could be special. And I, you know, that was probably my first thought too. I think my first free agent signing was Sammy Watkins because I knew we had Tyree kill. And you go back to that original thought process of when you're watching Pat in the spring, you're envisioning these, this around. So, you know, I think if you look at certainly how excited I was, I, I, I the first time I got a chance to sign a free agent, I went, I signed Sammy Watkins. I'm like, I'm putting receivers, we're putting receivers in this guy. This is going to be fun. And then who would have envisioned 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns later. But I mean, that, that, that was exciting, but but look, you have a lot of you have a lot of ability to be creative when you have an owner like Clark Hunt, and then you have a Hall of Fame head coach. I mean, when you're as an evaluator, you know you get you know that when you have a vision for a guy, that unless you miss on his work ethic or unless you just miss on the talent, that vision will become reality because you have a Hall of Fame coach working with him. So you know, okay, listen. This guy is special on tape. So if, if this kid is wired the right way and if he's smart and if he loves football, these things that you're seeing on tape, like this is going to happen because he's working with Andy Reid and Andy will get it out of him. And we're going to surround this guy with talent. So I think that's the whole exciting process is you, you know that if, this, if, the, if, the, if the talent you see on tape, if the character matches that talent, it, you know, you feel real confident about the outcome because of the people 
in particular the coaches and the culture you're going to surround them in. It almost like allows you to like keep the important things the important things because you don't have to worry about things like like he's going to be properly developed. He's going to be in the right environment. Like so like that almost like allows you to eliminate a lot of the other stuff and maybe focus on the fact that like four or five hours melted away and you didn't even notice it watching the kid. And that's really important, <laughs> right? Like because there's a, there was a lot to look at there. You're you're really able to construct a roster roster with you know with the concern of what many teams would deem as a risk well he's an air raid guy and you know his footwork you know a lot of stuff with pat was air raid and his footwork is just he makes all these off platform throws and his mechanics are way off and he just he's just out there slinging it like a baseball and um you know this isn't going to work well guess what we got andy reed and you know he's going to get the footwork right and he's going to, you know, you know, with Pat coming out, some of the things w- with Pat was um, air raid system, terrible footwork and decision making where, where Pat was just a gunslinger. And if there was a guy that he thought he could hit 50 yards down the field, he's taken that as opposed to a, a five yard check down or, uh, you know, a, you know, a backside slant, like he's not taking that. Even if the guy's wide open, Pat's chucking it down the field. So you're thinking about, okay, so if you're, if, if we really look at the big picture here and if this, okay, so he, he basically, he gambles a lot in the field, down the field and the footwork. And then, you know, basically a precedent of, of a system that doesn't really translate well in the NFL. Well, take out the system because you know, that's where Pat went to school. It wasn't like Pat was a five-star recruit and had his choice of where he was going to go. So he's there, right? And certainly a lot of credit goes to Cliff Kingsbury for identifying that talent. But Pat says, take out the system. Well, I already know Coach is going to clean up the footwork, and Coach is, is going to going to explain situational football to Pat better than anybody. I mean, Coach is going to, you know, be able to articulate and to explain how we live to see another down and how we play situational football. Um, but you're not going to find a guy that can do all the other stuff. You can't find the arm. You can't find the ad lib ability. You can't find the instincts. So really all the things that are impossible to find as a package he had and the things that he lacked, the mechanics and decision-making, I mean, that's right down Cody Reed's alley. I mean, he's going to get that hammered out rather quickly. And, um, you know, I think that's what you see. You see the development of um, situational football with Pat and the understanding of, you know, it's okay. It's okay to check it down and to, li- to live to see another down. Now, also remember, too, when Pat's playing Texas Tech, I mean, they're playing in, in shootouts. So I think Pat was playing with the mindset that I've got to, I've got to keep scoring. And these games are 60-some to 50-some. I, I, I can't do a check down, and we can't punt on fourth and one. I've got to keep up this pace. So I really think, too, the, the way he played the game, I think, and, and, and the conference in which he played, I really think dictated and forced him to play that way. So some guys just play that way because they don't understand. I think Pat, even though he played that way, I think a lot of it was just due to the conference in which he played and there wasn't a lot of defense and he, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him to score points right away. And, um, you know, he didn't know, you know, if you punt a ball in that league, you might not, you know, team may go on a six, seven, eight minute drive. And I, I think Pat, is wired like, hey, listen, man, I got a team's relying on me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Well, just surround them with a supporting cast, and if you coach the situational football in him, 
all the other stuff, people can't touch him on on a talent on a talent level. And now you get to build around him for the next twelve years, <laughs> which is probably a pretty cool thing as a general manager. Um, so a couple last things, Brett. Then um, number one, if there's a young scout listening to this and he's just getting started, or a young coach getting into this for that matter, what's the best piece of advice you could give a guy going into maybe his first? NFL, like low level job, like the job that you did over those summers um, at Lehigh? Well, it's, it, Albert, it's a lot of things that we talked about. Um, one, I would say uh, attention to detail and really, you know, perfecting the art of, of doing doing the small things with, with a lot of pride and a lot of passion, um, you know, being grounded from, st- I mean, listen, if you can take pride in stock and fridges and if you can take pride in, in printing up playbooks and, and, um, doing airport runs and, and picking up McDonald's. I mean, if you take pride in that and understand that if you are a, a detailed minded person, um, uh, and, and if you're rooted in that foundation, um, that by the time you get tasked with more important things, you're never gonna, you, you know, you're never gonna miss on, um, uh, the details that go with those bigger assignments because you're grounded in, 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 in the foundation that um, in which you understand on how important every aspect is. And then a thing that I go back to what coach taught me, just valuing other people's opinions and, and being able to exchange ideas. And so if you're a young scout or if you're a young coach getting into this, certainly everybody wants to talk to coach Reed or talk to Eric the about football, but you're going to also learn things from, another intern or you're going to learn uh, other things from a an office scout or a quality control coach exchanging ideas being open with your ideas being understanding that other people have different viewpoints um i think it is critical again you never know where you're going to pick up your next great idea or what's going to spark your next great idea yeah it may come from coach reed but it, it could come from the intern down the hall and i think when you when you're open yourself up to paying attention to details, doing all the little things with a lot of pride and, you know, valuing the people's opinions and having respect for those around you, whether they're the head coach or an intern. I think that's a great place to start. All right. And last thing, have you ever wondered what would have happened if you were able to work out your vacation time in that summer, whatever it was, Oh five. Um, and you did become what Kevin Stefanski became. Like, have you ever thought about like if you were the guy that went with with Chile to to Minnesota, what would have happened? Well, I, <laughs> that's a great great question. I I probably would have had an unsuccessful coaching career. So uh, <laughs> I'm guessing uh, this was my calling, and God had a plan, and and He put me in the right place at the right time. And and I'd like to think that. God knew that I wasn't going to be a great football coach. So I, uh, you know what, Brett, sit this one out and Kevin will be, a great, Kevin will be a great football coach. So I'm going to work it out where, you know, you're not going to have vacation time built in and, and he's going to go on and do great things. But uh, probably I would have been a, um, an, uh, a rather average or unsuccessful football coach, I, I would guess, but certainly worked out for me and worked out for Kevin and worked out for Matt. So uh, I think God has a plan and uh, I'm, I'm able to just kind of fulfill that, I guess. So I guess now you like you look at it like you were cut out for scouting all along. Like if you look back at it now, you probably maybe you didn't know it then when you were trying to be a coach, but maybe there's something about yep. you that you were you were you were cut out for that for for the scouting side rather than the coaching side the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was something that um, you know I'm so passionate about, and I can't imagine doing any or, any other thing in my life. And 
I, uh, all along, you're right. Uh, all, this was, you know, kind of where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. And I'm just extremely fortunate and blessed that the people around me, um, opened me up to that and made me aware of stuff I should have been aware of. You know, like I said, this was, this was what I was supposed to be doing. And, and I'm, I just have the good fortunes of people around me. Hey, letting me know, like coach Reed, like, I think you should do the scouting and, and, um, you know, the fact that I had people around me stating the obvious was was really fortunate for me. All right. He's Brett Veach, the general manager of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, Brett, I, I like I said, like we could go on for three or four hours here. I want to be cognizant of your time. I really, really appreciate you coming out. All right, Albert. I, listen, I, I appreciate the time you spent and, and for staying this up. Uh, hope you and your family are, are staying safe and staying insane and, and hopefully I get to see you this fall and um, at a football game this year and, and talk more about the Chiefs. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 